Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tribune Audio Network. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to give up. We have to find her. I'm Katie Corman, a reporter with Fox 2 in St. Louis. We've been looking into a more than 13-year-old missing persons case. Amanda Jones was a 26-year-old woman from Jefferson County, Missouri, when she disappeared on August 14, 2005. Amanda was eight and a half months pregnant, days away from giving birth to her second child, and her family is still desperate for answers. If you've been following along with our Fox 2 podcast, you've already heard about Amanda. Her family, her friends have told us the kind of person she was. We know how she met the man she believed to be the father of her unborn child. And we know about the timeline of that last day that anyone saw her. My colleague Andy Banker and I have been revisiting this case, looking into what happened then, what has happened since, and trying to just see what new information we might be able to figure out. We have a small update. Just this past Sunday, May 19th, the Q Center for Missing Persons, a nonprofit based out of North Carolina, had more than 30 searchers, several cadaver dogs, scent dogs, out at the Hillsborough Civic Center searching for any sign of Amanda Jones. Yeah, it's almost 14 years later. So your original reports, uh, follow-up reports that you started on last fall, Katie, I think got the ball rolling again. People are talking. So this is kind of what we're hoping to see. As we remember, the Hillsborough Civic Center is the last place anyone remembers seeing Amanda Jones on August 14, 2005. The family has been asking for years to have... A fresh set of eyes, an outside organization come right. in and search the Hillsborough Civic Center grounds again, just again to make sure that all the I's have been dotted, all the T's have been crossed, every stone has been flipped over just to make sure she's not there. Right. And they got out there and went at it, went at it again. Yeah. So we had volunteer searchers from several different states. I met a woman from Indiana, several from Illinois, several from here in Missouri, along with the Eureka Fire Protection District Search and Rescue Team. That is a group of volunteers over in Eureka. It's retired law enforcement, retired firefighters, current active firefighters. They were all out there assisting with the search. And then again, some of these incredibly well-trained Scent dogs. Well, you mentioned any possible trace. What could they possibly expect to find, Katie? What were they out there thinking? What was in their heads as they're conducting the search? You know, you think after all these years, 
what really could they expect yeah, to find? Almost 14. Almost 14 years. What could they really expect to find? I asked Marsha Morton. She was the coordinator of this search. Uh, she was a volunteer with the Q Center for Missing Persons. She told me that, you know, they're not necessarily searching for a specific person. I asked them if they had a piece of Amanda's clothing or something specific of Amanda's that they were searching for. She said, no, that, that was not the case. They were not looking for Amanda specifically. These dogs are all trained to find human remains in various stages of of decomposition. So they were out there simply searching for any sign of that. Again, the areas they were searching were these densely wooded, heavy brush areas. They even gave us an exclusive look at what the area looked like that they were going to be searching. If you're watching this podcast, again, this is a visual podcast. If you're watching this podcast rather than listening to it, we'll be giving you a look at what that terrain looks like, what that that area of the Hillsborough Civic Center wooded area looks like that searchers were really heavily focused on during Sunday's search. The day started at, at about 8.30 in the morning with a butterfly release, and we spoke with Amanda's family. We heard from her mother. I spoke with her sister, Carrie. I think that, you know, they remain hopeful that, that something new might happen, but I don't think that they were really expecting that anything was going to be found on the Civic Center grounds that day. And nothing was? And nothing was. Ultimately, they spent most of the day out there. I followed up with Marsha. She told me that no no tangible evidence was recovered uh, during Sunday's search. Not to say that they have completely ruled out any chance that Amanda might be somewhere on those grounds, but it appears unlikely based on the search that they did in the area that they covered on Sunday. So let's get back into what we do know from that last day. Amanda and Brian had spent one night together uh, in December of 2004. Amanda told Brian in February of 2005 that she was pregnant. Brian denied being the father. So she went on through the course of her pregnancy preparing to be a single mother, preparing to raise this child on her own without his help. And in the week or so before she disappeared, she had reached out to him to just let him know, hey, I'm getting close to my due date. I'm having a boy. And do you want to be involved? Do you want me to give the child your last name? He reached out to her uh, in the morning of Sunday, August 14th, 2005. And the two of them agreed to meet at the Hillsboro Civic Center in Hillsboro, Missouri. Now, the investigation has centered around Brian Westfall. And I think his contention through his attorney would be that that's not necessarily fair. And I think the investigators uh, haven't, they've never, I know they've never called him a suspect. Uh, he's just a person of interest. His name became known because he was the last person to see her alive. And that in and of itself, regardless of anything else, that gives this investigation its initial focus. There are reasons why everything kind of goes back toward him and the biggest reason of all is just that he's the last person known to have seen her alive this past fall i had an opportunity to speak with the jefferson county sheriff's office the, the lead investigating authority on this case and the fbi just to find out more about what was said back then in the and the day that she went missing and in the days after and what more information they've learned over the years I spoke with Detective Sergeant Scott Poe from the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, who explained to me how they narrowed down 
their search in those first hours of the investigation. With this, it was fairly easy. The closest people to her in her life had tried to contact her. Um, her child was remaining in her parents' custody and she was eight and a half months pregnant without a vehicle. So that really limited where we could search. So we had to basically go back to where she was last known to be and try to go from there the best we could, but with no direction to lead, that was very difficult. So, so going on that then, if you, if you go back to that day, mm -hmm. and you go back to the last person she was with, the last person who claims to see her alive. Yes, ma'am. And, and the last location she was. Tell me about the, the focus and the search around those locations and those people. Well, it's a that person, if we're being honest. I mean, we all know that. It's a that person. Um, obviously, that is going to be a focus of our investigative efforts, our interview efforts, uh, because, and that's with anyone. If, if one person goes missing and only one person was with them and no one else had seen them before or after and that person's the only one left to talk to, that's simply what we have. Our focus was on, on that gentleman, absolutely, right off the bat. It had to be. We had no other option. Uh, we did look at other possible avenues, but looking at video systems around, pulling for witnesses the best we could, going to the media, the help of the media as far as getting the story out there, begging for witnesses, everything came back to just one person, one, one location. At the end of our last episode, we heard from Amanda's parents, Hugh and Bertha Propes. They told us that when Amanda didn't show up, when she didn't return to them after her scheduled meeting with Brian, they became worried. They searched the phone book. They called every Westfall in the phone book until they finally got a hold of Brian. They spoke to Brian. They say he gave them several different accounts of what happened that day after he and Amanda met at the Civic Center. Yeah, and that's something investigators seized on. There were discrepancies in the stories coming from him. That's another factor here. So now we have not only just is he the last man to see her alive that we know of, but also his story changes. Apparently, Miss Probst, Bertha Probst, had been told uh, by this gentleman that he had told her, hey, we went to lunch at Off the Hook Restaurant in DeSoto. I dropped her off, that was it. Later, when confronted by Mr. Probst, she, he recanted that, and in his interview with us, said that they did not, in fact, have lunch. So I don't know what that was, the disparity in that, that, he, that account was. Did he explain why he said that? No, he did not. I believe he said that he didn't recall having said that they went to lunch. I think he said they discussed that. When they weren't satisfied with the answers, they were getting from Brian about what had happened that day and where Amanda was, they reached out to law enforcement. Again, here's Detective Sergeant Scott Poe with the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office. Uh, so there were some red flags immediately. Uh, the deputy that night went out and spoke with, uh, with the gentleman. His account to the deputy was what it was. Uh, we had some disparities there, but it was uh, at that point it's their side versus their, and we can't give credence to either side more than the other until we get some some true facts to, to you know, refute those things and, and poke the holes in the stories. So Andy, we obviously see a lot of that in our line of work. You can't take sides, especially in a situation like this where there's paternity being questioned and, you know, you certainly don't want to choose sides, you don't want to give one side more validity than the other. That's why police do their investigating. Yes, and they're starting from zero. They don't know Amanda Jones, as far as we know. They don't know Brian Westfall. They have no reason to believe one or the other. 
There are other explanations as to what could have happened to her. So that's what the investigators have to keep in mind. But the more they talk to him, the more he sort of helps spin that focus back onto himself beyond just him being the last person to see her. And Andy, let's be clear, Brian Westfall has not said much to police or investigators. He gave them a written statement that night that Amanda disappeared, but almost immediately after that, he hired an attorney. Here's Amanda's father, Hugh Probst. The story is he got a lawyer that night. The night of the abduction, he got a lawyer. The morning after, his girlfriend got a lawyer. They still have that same lawyer on retainer. Why, after 13 years? So, Katie, there's another person of interest in all of this. Brian Westfall has a girlfriend who is not Amanda, but Amanda feels she is expecting his baby. Brian has never spoken to the media. His girlfriend, who we believe is still his girlfriend to this very day, has never spoken to the media. What limited information we have about them and their relationship, we've gotten through law enforcement. To the best of our knowledge, they were a couple when Amanda and Brian met that night of the holiday party at the Civic Center. And they have remained a couple through all of this. Brian Westfall's family hired attorney Kevin Roberts to represent Brian, and and he continues to represent Brian to this day. It is my understanding that he also represents Brian's girlfriend. And I know Kevin Roberts, at least from the time I started covering this story all those years ago, almost 14 years ago now, uh, he's never consented to an interview with me. The most I ever got from him was a statement, and that was it. And that was the same experience I had with him when anytime I've reached out is that he has declined to do interviews. He has declined to allow his clients to do interviews and has only sent me statements continuing to say that Brian Westfall is not the father of this child and Brian Westfall had no involvement in the disappearance of Amanda Jones. So knowing that you've got two sides to a story, just like you said, Andy, investigators had to start from zero. They had to go back and go through the whole timeline And nobody disputes what we have already said happened earlier in the day. She got the phone call from Brian. She went to church. She kissed her four-year-old daughter goodbye, went to Walgreens, went to the Civic Center, 1 o'clock. To meet Brian. And again, without Brian Westfall talking to us, his girlfriend talking to us, their attorney talking to us, we have none of that. So we go on in our reporting what we know from who's talking, Amanda's family, police investigators, and they sort of lay out what her last hours of known contact with the people she loved were like. And Brian doesn't dispute that they met at 1 o'clock that day. So we know they met at 1 o'clock that day, and we know at 1.15, Amanda Jones received the last phone call received or made from her cell phone on that final day. It was from her former sister-in-law, Rhonda Boyer. I spoke with Rhonda. She describes to us that final phone call. And she answered very abrupt, and Amanda never, through ever, had ever spoke to me in that tone or that, that quickness or that 
And I said, hi. Uh, she says, hello. And I said, hi, Amanda, it's Rhonda. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know. And she goes, I can't talk right now. I can't talk right now. And I'm like, well, it's okay. I said, I, I just need to get, I'm here picking up the order for your party. And I need to know what kind of makeup that you wanted. I don't know, I don't know, I can't talk right now. I said, can you just tell me the makeup? And she goes, I think it's got an eight in it or something. Well, she goes, I'll call you back. I said, Amanda, wait. I said, are you in labor? That's how intense she was. She goes, no, I would call you if I was in labor. And I said, okay, hon. She goes, I think it's got an eight in it or something. I gotta go and hung up. And from what I understand, from what the family, her mom and dad, and uh, the police had told me that that was the last phone call. I didn't know that she was with him that day. Had I had known that, I would have put two and two together. So Rhonda mentioned that there was tension in Amanda's voice, obviously. For all the reasons we continue to state, this was an uncomfortable situation for everyone. There is a child in the mix. The question of paternity is coming up, and it's just uncomfortable. Right, and Brian Westfall has a girlfriend. Right. Aside from Amanda Jones, who is expecting his child, according to her and her family. Interestingly enough, the only person that has been able to give us or investigators an account of that final meeting is Brian Westfall himself. I spoke with Detective Sergeant Scott Poe, and he describes what happened at that final meeting between him and Amanda. Apparently during that, she she asked if she could give the child his last name. She also had a photo album with pictures of a sonogram, some poems, things like that, trying to inspire him to be, want to be more involved in the child's life. He apparently refuted that he was the father and told her not to use the name. Uh, according to him, she became upset. At one point asked to use the bathroom in the Civic Center, which he allowed, opened her up, allowed her, opened up the Civic Center, allowed her to use the restroom. Said she came back out, they decided they were no longer hungry and didn't want to go to lunch. Uh, as they had originally planned. So around 2 o'clock, Brian tells investigators he went back to work at the horse barn on the Civic Center grounds, and Amanda went to her car. And if people don't remember or haven't followed in the earlier episodes, the Civic Center is like a fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. They have the county fair there for Jefferson County in uh, Hillsboro. So they have a horse barn. There's a track around the back, a horse track. And uh, one thing that strikes me about what the investigator brings up, and this goes back to my memory of covering this all those years ago, right away they told us about the last places they were known to have been seen, the Civic Center where they met, and they also mentioned this restaurant called Off the Hook, a fish place outside of town between Hillsboro and DeSoto, Missouri. And that was something we put on the news. They wanted to talk to people who may have seen the cars. All of this stuff went out, right? But you heard him say they decided not to go to lunch. And that's one of those early discrepancies in Brian Westfall's account of Amanda's last known hours that sort of flips this thing back to him again. Not just as the last person who saw her, but as someone who maybe is not saying all he knows. Right, because it eventually investigators determined that the two never left the Civic Center grounds. Surveillance footage at Off the Hook Restaurant never shows them there together. And so that's one of many discrepancies 
that the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office identified as part of the investigation into he said, she said, and what just didn't quite add up. Here's Detective Sergeant Poe. The other discrepancy is he says that she was in the in the car adamantly said she was sitting in the car when I left on the phone. Verizon records show that she was not on the phone during that time. Uh, additionally, the people that had been there at 4.30 in the afternoon uh, that did see the vehicle did not, they reported seeing no one in or around the vehicle at the time. Uh, they did, they were able to corroborate that Mr. or that the gentleman was down near a barn in the horse show grounds where he told us he had been doing work. They said the trailer was empty. Uh, however, he, he came out of the barn when they saw when he saw them pull up, appeared to be startled, and said, oh, I'm down here loading things. Um, one of the witnesses said he found that odd because there was nothing on the trailer. Um, but other than that, th those have been the biggest discrepancies we found in the initial report. So around 5.30, Brian Westfall says he left the Civic Center property, and he saw Amanda Jones sitting in her car in the parking lot, talking on the phone. Some things about that do not add up, right? We've learned there there is no record of her making another phone call after that phone call to her former sister-in-law. Correct. Right, at 1.15, four hours earlier. And then there's another thing, Katie, about sitting in her car, mm -hmm. right? You would presume that if you're sitting in the car, you'd have it running with the air conditioning on in August uh, in mid-southern Missouri, you know, south of St. Louis in Eight August. Eight and a half months pregnant or not, you're not yes. sitting in your car with no air conditioning That's, in August. Her air conditioner didn't work in that Correct. car, right? And her family knew that. So there's a few other things that don't add up. And there's a lot more to come in our next episodes because the story, you know, it progresses through that first night. Yeah, you so found out some things about um, what happened out at Brian Westfall's house that night. We're going to find out from investigators where Brian Westfall says he went after he left the Civic Center, who saw him once he left, who came to his house later that night before investigators arrived, and then where investigators focused their search in the days after, where they were searched, where they had to get permission to search, where they were not allowed to search, and what they found in the days and weeks following her disappearance. It's fascinating. There's a lot more to go, a lot more to uh, plow through. And um, revisiting it all, I just think we're going to get there. We're going to get there. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $20,000 for information leading to the location of Amanda Jones and her unborn child and or for information leading to the identity of the person or people involved with their disappearance. We thank you for listening. I'm Katie Corman. And I'm Andy Banker.